0: Part six, chapter three of *The Life of Florence Nightingale*, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paula Preby, Wausau, Wisconsin. *The Life of Florence Nightingale*, volume two, by Edward Tias Cook, public health missionary for India, 1868 to 1872. There is a vast work going on in India, and the fruits will be reaped in time. Not all at once. We must go on working in faith and in hope. Dr. John Sutherland, from Letter to Miss Nightingale, August sixteenth, eighteen 1871 By dint of remaining here for thirteen months to dog the minister, I have got a little, not tart, but department all to myself, called Of Public Health, Civil, and Military for India, with Sir B. Frere at the head of it i have had the immense satisfaction three or four months ago of seeing printed dispatch number one of said department i have never in all my life before saw any dispatch paper or minute under at least number seventy seven thousand nine hundred eighty one still you know this is not the meat but only the smell of the meat what we want is an executive out there to do it and a department here to see that it is being done the latter we now have the former must still rest with the viceroy and council out there thus did miss nightingale in a letter to m Mole, february sixteenth eighteen sixty eight sum up the results of the campaign described in the last chapter her life for some years to come was now largely occupied by the affairs of the little department all to herself the department may have been little but she interpreted her duties as we shall see in a large sense her work in connection with the war office though it did not entirely cease was no longer absorbing she had ceased to have direct communications with the secretaries of war in 1868 there was one of the periodical reorganizations of the war office followed in the succeeding year by the retirement of captain galton she had thus no longer a confidential intimate in the department she could have made one perhaps if she had so desired for her scutari friend sir henry storks had now been appointed to the newly organized post of controller-in-chief and presently became surveyor-general of ordnance but her indian preoccupations coupled with the never-ceasing strain of work as adviser general on hospitals and nursing used all her strength in the present chapter we shall follow the course of her life during the years eighteen sixty eight to eighteen seventy two with special reference to indian work in the next we shall follow the development of her work in connection with hospitals and nursing the long strain mentioned in the letter to m Mole had told severely upon miss nightingale's strength and at the end of december eighteen seventy six she went leaving no address behind except with dr sutherland for a month's rest cure under dr walter johnson at malvern upon her return to london she was busily engaged in the preparation of the indian memorandum described in the last chapter the death of miss agnes jones and the anxieties which it entailed told greatly upon her health and spirits mr jowett after seeing her early in july was seriously alarmed at her state of physical weakness and mental despondency she had half promised him that she would go for rest and change to Leahurst, but only if the rest were accompanied by a duty of affection. If her mother were at Leahurst, she would go. If not, she would not. So Mr. Jowett wrote privately to Mrs. Nightingale, who arranged her plans accordingly, and begged her daughter to come and be with her. They were together at the old house for three months, from July 7th through October 3rd, and for a week of that time Mr. Jowett was with them the mother and the daughter had seldom been on such affectionate and understanding terms as now mamma wrote miss nightingale to madame cole on july twenty is more cheerful more gentle than i ever remember her the daughter's note of conversations shows that they talked of misunderstandings in the past and that the mother was ready to blame herself you would have done nothing in life if you had not resisted me for many years to come miss nightingale repeated such visits to the country homes of her parents they were old now. Her father was seventy-four in 1868, her mother eighty. The daughter desired to be with them so far as her work allowed. Perhaps something was due, also, to the persistent counsels of Mr. Jowett. Continuous drudgery in London was not good, he pleaded, either for her body or for her soul. They were supposed to have entered into a compact not to overwork. He avowed that he was faithfully keeping his side of the bargain, and put upon her honour to do her part in return. It was an unhealthy life, he pleaded, to be shut up all year in a London room. There was still much for her to do, and she would do it all the better for some relaxation of daily effort. Perhaps he persuaded her. At any rate, from 1868 for some years onward, there was more of the country in Miss Nightingale's life, less of incessant drudgery, more leisure for reading, more marge for meditation. In 1869 she was at Embley for three months in the summer, in 1870 at Embley for one month, and at Leahhurst for three. In 1871 there was a similar division of time. In 1872 she was at Embley for eight months. Mr. Jowett was a frequent visitor on these occasions for a few days at a time. He continued in frequent letters to urge her to attempt some sustained writing. She had a talent for it, he insisted, and she was possessed of great influence. He suggested as a subject suitable to her a treaty on the reform of the poor law, and he sent her a memorandum of his own ideas on the subject there are one or two of mr jowett's ideas and occasionally a phrase of his in what she ultimately wrote she endeavoured to take his advice and a resolve is recorded in her diary for eighteen sixty eight to devote an hour a day to writing the projected work went no further length than that of a magazine article entitled a note on pauperism nothing that she ever wrote with one exception cost her so much worry and trouble she did what is always trying to an author's equanimity and often prejudicial to the effect of his work. She omitted collaboration dr sutherland had a hand in it that goes without saying and his assistance was always useful he knew exactly within what limits he could really help his friend but her brother-in-law was an authority on the subject and lady verney claimed and not without justice to be an authority on the style appropriate to magazine articles she took much well-meant trouble and transcribed her sister's first draft in her own hand with corrections of her own also the authoress was in despair and sent again for dr sutherland I have adopted all your corrections and all parth's and all sir harry's and they have taken out all my bon mots and left unfinished sentences on every page and this kind of work really takes a year's strength out of me and now you must help me so dr sutherland patched up the broken sentences and harmonized the corrections and the article was ready miss nightingale was as timid and perplexed as any literary beginner about placing her paper after much consultation she decided to submit it to mr Froud, with whom she as yet had no acquaintance she was as pleased as any literary beginner when the editor replied immediately that he would be delighted to print the paper in his next number for fraser in march eighteen sixty nine it appeared accordingly the first of several contributions which she made to that magazine the note is somewhat disconnected in style and slight in treatment but is full of far-reaching suggestions she begins by insisting on a reform of which we have heard much in the previous chapter the separation of the sick and incapable from the workhouse then she goes on to argue that the thing to do is not to punish the hungry for being hungry but to teach the hungry to feed themselves she attacks the laissez-faire school of economists which being interpreted means let bad alone political economy speaks of labour as mobile and she quotes a leading article in the times which talked about the convenience in the possession of a vast industrial army ready for any work and chargeable on the public when its work is no longer wanted she stigmatizes such talk as false in the first case and wicked in the second the state should endeavor to facilitate the organization of labor where work is in one place and labor in another it should bring them together education should be more manual and less literary pauper children should be boarded out and sent to industrial schools the condition of the dwellings of the poor is at the root of much pauperism and the state should remedy it there should be state-aided colonization so as to bring the landless man to the manless lands some of all this was not so familiar in eighteen sixty nine as it is to-day and miss nightingale's note attracted much attention among those who read it with hearty approval was carlyle last night wrote mr rawlinson on march eleventh i spent several hours with mr carlyle and amongst a talk about lancashire public works modern modes of government modern political economy and social morality he brought to my notice your note on pauperism, as, in his opinion, the best, because the most practical, paper he had read of late on the question. I wish you could have been present to have listened to the great man alternately pouring forth a living stream of information, and then bursting into a rhapsody of passionate denunciation of some thick-headed, blundering statesmanship, or indignant tirade against commercial rascality. Dr. Sutherland called to express his pleasure that the article had gone off so well. "'Well,' she said, it's not well at all the whole of london is calling here to tell me they have got a depauperizing experiment including that horrid woman a large bundle of correspondence testifies to the interest which her paper aroused some of it was not disinterested all the emigration societies read the paper with the gratitude which looks to subscriptions the article was very expensive to her for she gave away the editor's fees many times over in such contributions for some years following, she took great interest in schemes for emigration, and nothing angered her more in the politics of the day than the absence of any colonial policy in the schemes and speeches of liberal ministers. Miss Nightingale had sent some of her correspondence on colonization to an old friend at the colonial office, Sir Frederick Rogers, Lord Blatchford. "'See what a thing,' he replied on July 16, 1869, "'is a bad conscience. You—' conscious of my life spent in bullying harmless government offices think i must read your beautiful handwriting with horror whereas i conscious of rectitude have sincere pleasure in receiving your assaults this was a preface to an essay in which the under secretary demonstrated in the manner habitual to the colonial office in those days the utter undesirability impropriety and impossibility of doing anything at all Lord Houghton raised a conversation on the subject in the House of Lords, but confessed to Miss Nightingale that he was half-hearted, and nothing came of it. She formed a large heap of newspaper cuttings, collected facts from foreign countries, made many notes, and intended to follow up on the suggestions thrown out in her paper, into greater detail, and then perhaps to publish a book. She gave much time during 1869 to the subject, and in December, Mr. Goshen, the President of the Poor Law Board, came to see her they had a long discussion and her note of it begins with an aperçu of the minister a little severe perhaps but not undiscriminating he is a man of considerable mind great power in getting up statistical information and political economy but with no practical insight or strength of character it is an awkward mind like a pudding in lumps he is like a man who has been senior wrangler and never anything afterward he seemed to miss nightingale to see so many objections to any course as to make him likely to do nothing and his economic doctrines paid too little regard she thought to the actual facts you must sometimes trample on the toes of political economists she said just to make them feel whether they are standing on firm ground that she was deeply interested in the whole subject is shown by a testamentary document dated september nineteenth eighteen sixty nine in which she earnestly begged dr sutherland to edit and publish her further notes on pauperism she lived in full possession of her faculties for at least a quarter of a century after this date, but she never put the notes into printable shape. As I've said before, she lacked inclination to sustain literary composition. Besides, her hands were full of other things. Miss Nightingale's main work during these years may be described as that of a health missionary for India. She carried on her mission in three ways she endeavoured by personal interviews and correspondence to incense with a desire for sanitary improvement all indian officials from governors-general to local officers of health whom she could contrive to influence she made acquaintance with natives of india and strove to spread her gospel among them in their own country and through her own little department in cooperation with sir bartle frere she did a large amount of official work in the same direction on her return to london at the beginning of october eighteen sixty eight she found work awaiting her under the first of the foregoing heads sir john lawrence's term of office of governor-general was coming to an end and disraeli had appointed lord mayo to succeed him on october twenty two he wrote asking to be allowed to see miss nightingale before he sailed for india sir bartle frere to miss nightingale india office october twenty three eighteen sixty eight i think you will hear from lord mayo who i know is anxious to see you if you can grant him an interview next week could you in the meantime note down for him as you did when describing what the folk in india should now do in a note to me a few weeks ago the points to which he should give attention i think you will like him very much in appearance he is a refined likeness of what i remember o'connell when i went as a boy with a proper horror for his principles, to hear him before he got into Parliament. Lord Mayo is very pleasing in manner, with no assumptions of knowing all about it, and evidently better informed on many subjects connected with sanitary reform than many men of greater pretension. He has a great sense of humour too, which is a great help. I wish when you see him you would ask to see Lady Mayo. The interview with Lord Mayo was on the 28th, and a few days later Miss Nightingale saw Lady Mayo also. On the morning of the twenty-eighth dr sutherland was summoned to south street he was in a hurry and hoped there was nothing much on to-day there is a something ran the message down to him which most people would think a very big thing indeed and that is seeing the viceroy or sacred animal of india i made him go to shooburriness yesterday and come to me this afternoon because i could not see him unless you gave me some kind of general idea what to state dr sutherland thus prettily flattered stayed and they discussed what should be said to the sacred animal next day she reported the conversation to dr sutherland what he said was not unsensible but essentially irish he said that he should see sir j lawrence for two days before he sir j l left and he said he should ask sir j l to call upon me the moment he returned and to ask me to write out to him lord mayo anything that sir j l thought a new broom could do that was clever of him but he asked me over and over again that i should now at once before he goes write down something for him he said that would guide me upon the sanitary administration as soon as i arrive and especially he said about that executive he asked most sagacious questions about all the men miss nightingale took counsel with sir bartle frere and dr sutherland and then wrote a memorandum for the new viceroy she covered the whole ground of sanitary improvement, dwelling much on questions of irrigation and agricultural development as aids thereto. A noble and most complete paper, said Sir Bartle Frere on November 1st, and it will be invaluable to India. Perhaps it impressed the new viceroy also. At any rate, Lord Mayo's administration was marked by some improvements in sanitary conditions, and by extension of irrigation works. He also initiated two of the indispensable preliminaries to sanitary progress, a census and a statistical survey of the country in an autobiographical note detailing her relations with successive viceroys miss nightingale says that lord mayo's policy in sanitary and agricultural matters was in accord with lines which sir bartle frere and she desired i say nothing she adds of his splendid services in foreign policy in his feudatory states and native chiefs policy in which doubtless sir b frere helped him I saw him more than once before he started, and he corresponded with me all the time of his too brief viceroyality. I think he was the most open man, except Sidney Herbert, I ever knew. I think it was Lord Stanley who said of him, he did things not from calculation but from the nature of his mind. Lord Mayo said himself that his Irish experience with a subject race was so useful to him in India. He said that he was certainly the only viceroy who had sold his own cattle in the market. "'Florence I, Empress of Scavengers, Queen of Nurses, Reverend Mother Superior of the British Army, Governess of the Governor of India,' was Mr. Jowett's address when he heard of the interviews with Lord Mayo. Empress of Scavengers was M. Mole's title for her at the time. "'Rather,' she said, "Maid of all dirty work,' or, the Nuisance's Removal Act. That's me. Miss Nightingale's greatest ally in India at the time was, however, Lord Napier, Governor of Madras.' i remember scutari he wrote on june twenty fourth eighteen sixty eight and i am one of the few original faithful left and i think i am attached to you irrespective of sanitation he was firm in her cause even where sir john lawrence had seemed unfaithful the governor-general had abandoned a scheme for female nursing lord napier carried one through in madras and corresponded at some length with miss nightingale on the subject sir john lawrence had refused her advice to send some engineer officers home to study sanitary works he had none to spare. Lord Napier adopted the advice, and sent Captain H. Tulloch, whose visit to England and association with Mr. Rawlinson resulted in reports on urban drainage and the utilization of sewage. Lady Napier gave letters of introduction to Miss Nightingale and to other officials from Madras, and Lord Napier reported progress to her constantly. Lord Napier to Miss Nightingale, Codia Canal, September twenty-two, eighteen sixty-seven i write to you from one of the arsenals of health in southern india from the palni hills the most romantic and least visited of these salubrious and beautiful places i have deferred writing to you till i could announce that some sanitary good had really been secured worthy of your attention i cannot say that such is yet the case but something has been proposed and designed we are building central jails to empty the district jails and we are remodeling the district jails and rebuilding two or three we are aerating and enlarging the lock-ups I have stirred up the doctors in the general hospital at madras i have proposed to take the soldiers out of it and build them a new separate military hospital not yet sanctioned i have endeavored to raise the little native dispensaries and hospitals out of their sordid baseness and poverty i am trying to get a new female hospital sanctioned for women both european and native with respectable diseases and others taken out and settled apart i don't think my action has gone beyond a kind of impulse and movement but we may effect something more important in the coming year my wife has taken an active interest in the magdalen hospital the lying-in hospital and the orphanages of various kinds we want money zeal belief and knowledge in many quarters lord napier to miss nightingale madras september three eighteen sixty eight i am truly happy to find i can do something to please you and that you will count me as a humble but devoted member of the sanitary band of your band i might properly say do you know that i was sent by lord stratford to salute and welcome you on your first arrival at Scutari, and that i found you stretched on the sofa where i believe you never lay down again i thought then that it would be a great happiness to serve you and if the elchi would have given me to you i would have done so with all my heart and learned many things that would have been useful to me now but the elchi would never employ any one on serious work who was at all near himself so i spent the best years of my life at a momentous crisis doing nothing when there was enough for all but if i can do something now it will be a late compensation report on various sanitary measures then in hand i have read the beautiful count of una last evening driving along the melancholy shore i sent it to lady napier who is in the hills i will write again soon as you permit and even desire it and i am ever your faithful grateful and devoted servant napier lord napier to miss nightingale madras june three eighteen sixty nine now i have a good piece of news for you we are framing a bill for a general scheme of local taxation in this presidency, both in municipalities and in villages, and the open country, to provide for three purposes, local roads, primary education, and sanitation, such as improvement of wells, regulation of pilgrimages and fairs, drainage, etc. It will be very unpopular, I fear, in the first instance, for the people wish neither to be taught nor cured, but I think it is better on the whole to force their hands we are driven to it for i see clearly that we must wait a long time for help from the supreme government i was pleased and flattered to be mentioned by you in the same sentence with lord herbert indeed i am not worthy to tie the latchet of his shoe but there are weaknesses and delusions which endure to the last and i suppose i never shall be indifferent to see myself praised by a woman and placed in connection however remote with a person of so much virtue and distinction you shall have the little labour that is left in me a subject on which miss nightingale wrote both to lord napier and to lord mayo was the inquiry into cholera in india ordered by the secretary of state in april eighteen sixty nine she had made the proposition many months before indian medical officers were absorbed in propounding theories miss nightingale wanted first an exhaustive inquiry into the facts even if such an inquiry did not establish any of the rival theories it must lead she thought to much sanitary improvement sir Frere strongly supported the idea and it was arranged that the war office sanitary committee should make the suggestion and elaborate the scheme of procedure to be followed in india the committee meant for such a purpose dr sutherland and dr sutherland meant in part miss nightingale Sir Bridgel Frere constantly wrote to her to know when the India office might expect the instructions, and Miss Nightingale as constantly applied the spur to Dr. Sutherland. On April 3 she delivered an ultimatum. Unless the cholera instructions are sent to me to-day, I renounce work and go away. At last they arrived, and her friend received a withering note. April 13, 1869 i beg leave to remark that i found a letter of yours this morning dated early in december which i meant to show you in which with the strongest objurgations from me you told me that you could not come because you intended to go get the collar instructions through by december twelfth eighteen sixty eight my dear soul really sir b Frere could not have known the exhausting labour he has put you all to to produce that in four months must prove fatal to all your constitutions he is an ogre dr sutherland's instructions are admirably exhaustive and may well have taken some time to prepare the remaining stages of the affair were quick and the secretary of state's dispatch went out to the government of india on april twenty three followed by private letters from miss nightingale the sanitary blue books of successive years contain copious reports and discussions of this special cholera inquiry it furnished much material for scientific discussion by which miss nightingale sometimes feared that what she regarded as the essence of the matter was in danger of being overlaid she and the army sanitation committee took occasion more than once to point out that whatever may be the origin of cholera or whatever may ultimately be found to be its laws of movement there is nothing in any of the papers except what strengthens the evidence for the intimate relation which all previous experience has shown to exist between the intensity and fatality of cholera in any locality and the sanitary condition of the population inhabiting it the origin of cholera is now said to be a micro-organism identified by cook but the laws of its movement and activity remain inscrutable Meanwhile, all subsequent experiences confirmed the doctrine which Miss Nightingale continually preached, that the one protection against cholera consists in a standing condition of good sanitation. End of public health missionary for India, eighteen sixty eight to eighteen seventy two. Part one.